0: This is your obscenity warning. Come on. Take it on
1: the top. Hi, my name is Lily Leibovitz, and my, fr- my dad and his friends like to say stupid, poopy, farty, and other bad words.
0: This is your obscenity warning. Into the mic. Say, this is your obscenity warning.
1: This is your obscenity warning.
0: Thank you.
2: Yay! Brava, brava. Out you go. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Hello to you. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Our Jews of the week. We are we are Jew plentiful this week. Uh, We're Jew mournful this week. We are Jew mournful this week. More on that in a moment, but but let's just, let's just get out there that we'll be joined by Jonathan Ornstein, director of JCC Krakow. For all of your Pilates and uh, rummy cub needs in Krakow. Jonathan Ornstein will be here to tell us what it's like to run a Jewish community center in a city and country that have had a complicated relationship with their Jewish residents over the years.
0: <laughs> I, like, I like it's like
2: the Facebook <laughs> relationship. It's,
0: it's complicated. complicated.
3: It's, it's complicated. Jew, Jews in Poland. <laughs> it's, complicated. it's complicated. I think that's what my thesis was called.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we will also be joined by Gabby Berkner and Rebecca Sofer of Modern Loss. Modern Loss is a website book. Virtual community, IRL community, it's, it's a community of people uh, talking about how to deal with mourning, especially for, for younger people, for people in their 20s and 30s who may be experiencing unexpected loss of parents, partners, and so forth. They are amazing, uh, and we're very excited to talk to them. It's, uh, it's mourning in America. But it's mourning with you because the holiday coming up this weekend is, is it a holiday? <laughs> it's a minor fast it's day. It's a, there's
0: no such thing as a minor
2: <laughs> fast day. I believe that theologically this is a minor fast day. Shira confirms. Just Shira Telushkin, It's a minor producer. fast day
3: you can, like, have smoothies.
2: It's the 17th of Tammuz. Uh, Yud Zain Tammuz, a dawn-to-dusk minor fast day, uh, only dawn-to-dusk. That's why it's minor, right? It's not the full 24 hours. <laughs> and no, seriously, it kicks off the three weeks of mourning before Tisha B'Av, otherwise known as the weeks when the New York Times wedding pages are relatively Jew-free because you're not supposed to get married during those weeks. It's the lead-up to Tisha B'Av, which is the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. It's the day that the walls were breached. Right. According to the mission, of five things happened to our ancestors on 17th Tammuz. Uh, the, the tablets of the Holy law were broken. Continual sacrifice ceased. Jerusalem was stormed. Um, Something about the holy, an idol being placed in the temple, and it was Seinfeld was canceled. <laughs> anyway, uh, for those of you, I think it'd be really interesting if some of our listeners who are maybe have not yom kippur fasted in a while. This is your stepping stone. This is your your gateway. Your your gateway drug. Do a, do a minor fast, like a training. Do a bissel of fasting. <laughs> I told this story before, but run. it is worth mentioning that um, one of my favorite stories I ever I ever wrote was when I covered the large evangelical megachurch in Jacksonville, Florida, that was fasting for 30 days. Um, and it turned—because evangelicals love to fast, but it turns out they don't really fast. They were doing—the the, the preacher of this megachurch was doing a smoothie fast. Yeah. A, a juice cleanse, <laughs> a if juice. you will. Where <laughs> he was eating only smoothies. And here I was, this Jewish reporter. They had me in their green room because he had one of those shows. Like It was a megachurch they literally had— a green room uh, b- before he went on stage. And he was in the green room telling me with his smoothies. And I was like, bruh,
3: <laughs> Like,
2: <laughs> I thought you were fasting. He's like, well, I mean, I'm not, I can't fast for 30 days.
3: Smoothie fast. It's like, like literally welcome to being a woman in America.
0: <laughs> well, so, where, where I come from, people charge you like $130 a
2: day for this exact <laughs>
3: <laughs> this <laughs> full experience. Uh, so what
2: is up, Jews? Stephanie Butnick, how's your week been?
3: My week has been Good. I finally looked up from my phone while I was outside our <laughs> office on 6th Avenue. <laughs> and, and I Russia. realized there's this like tiny string on the uh, from the lamppost to the lamppost. And I was like, oh, my God, have I been walking through an Arab every day on my way to work for the past seven years? and just you never noticed. It. And so I looked it up and like NYC Arab is a very legit thing. It goes all around the city. On Sixth Avenue from I think from Bleecker Street to fifty fifth, but it's only on the east side of the street. It's like this is this whole amazing thing. So the Arab is basically what allows people, particularly women, I imagine, to hold to either push a stroller on Shabbat or to hold items. Um, right, because you're not
2: allowed to carry on Shabbat. Yeah. But if you're within an Eruv, you're technically within your spiritual house, the metaphorical house. It's my
3: favorite Jewish loophole of, <laughs> yeah. the, of, ever, ever. of all of them. So here, so interestingly. Yeah, can
2: we do an Eruv for like
0: bacon? Like you're already in your <laughs> spiritual thing. You could have that cheeseburger It's like here. what happens in the Eruv. That's
3: so, like, you know,
2: there's no Eruv on my wife's ancestral homeland of the Lower East Side. Correct. Because the descendants of, of Rev. Moshe Feinstein don't believe that you're allowed to put up a string and say that if you're within the string, it's your house. <laughs> so <laughs> and like, that's and and therefore, Bullshit. you can push a stroller or carry a coat or whatever. So therefore, whenever like young, hipster, observant Jews move to the Lower East Side, as soon as they get more than a couple kids, they have to leave because you can't really take a big family outside without an roof. Mm. And every other Orthodox Jew in the world signs on to this loophole except this little tiny clique on the Lower East Side who, t- who makes sure that their alderman or selectman or counselor won't let the public utilities put up an roof. So they're actually murdering Jewish life on the Lower East Side. It's like
0: Life of Brian. We're not the people's duty in front of. We're the Judean in front of <laughs> of, Judah. The people, yeah. of the people, exactly. Amazing.
2: So you just discovered the 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 nomad Arab, basically yeah. the flat iron Arab.
3: I mean, it just shows that like I just have not ever looked up.
2: <laughs>
3: Amazing, Liel,
2: Can you top that? I Somebody just can. discovered there's Jewish life in Midtown. What do you got?
0: <laughs> I discovered Jewish summer camp writ large. <laughs> okay. So my kids go to the JCC, which we love. Oh, we Hudson, know Hudson still goes there, but Lily this year is starting camp Satoga, which is a JCC camp. You know, up upstate now. Some of our listeners may remember my stories about summer camp, which involved eating off a door that I tore off of a latrine. Yeah. Uh, that to, was like your table. That's right. To, right. Use, to use as a table slash oven slash bed slash, you know, uh, wash basin. Yeah. Uh, like literally, my summer camp was a field. Uh, it's like you could use part of it to play, part of it's a field with barbed wire part around Part of it's it a, a field eight. of dreams. It, right? it, it, it was sort of like, you know, Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> in in the Galilee. <laughs> That's the camp uh, it was about. Right? Their summer camp is the most amazing thing. It has a, a parkour station. Are uh, we still
3: doing parkour? Oh, we're
0: still doing parkour. Wow. It has is a the... gymnastic station. It has like a rappelling slash ziplining, wall climbing. It, it is literally the most incredible thing I have seen. And and I was I, I really I mean, if they admitted me, I'm quitting this game. You're quitting the show. And, and I'm just going there
2: like year you're you're calling actually might be camp director, Leo.
0: There is there's a problem here because the, the problem would be hygiene because the way we were trained Yours? the summer camp in Israel <laughs> yeah, right. not so much mine as <laughs> she as, she as would some, shower from as to my, June. The standards we, to which you mark have... literally and this is Israel I mean consider the right. temperatures and everything literally we would shower maybe twice a summer it's disgusting this is like they the like, world need to I save came the
3: water. from
0: yeah you came back and like you walked into town and everyone was like ah uh, no i i don't think i would uh you know well but you know what that. when you
3: say camp can i tell you what that reminds me of what's that our amazing camp unorthodox 2018 special edition t-shirts oh, f- part of our fundraiser right. i'm shilling for it they're they're like in the camp font it's like literally like the log font yeah and of it's great so beauty. good and you it's the our our, our reward at the 72 two dollar level
2: i'm so glad that you're actually shilling for this because you know I've always done these ads the last two years. And the reality is, if we're to judge from our mailbox at all, like people think people like me fine, but nobody's obsessive about me. Like nobody's going to give money because Mark Oppenheimer, nobody feels they have to give money because Mark said it. Whereas Liel's fans, they would they would enlist in the IDF for you your fans would <laughs> Stephanie Sims would adopt a cat for her like you can they you adopt have, mine you, you have more obsessive fans than I do Mark don't you know sell what?
3: yourself yeah, short yeah I don't know that that's true at all I, uh, I'm just I'm just reading the your fans are quieter because they're yeah. you
2: know normal people <laughs> your Ours fans have are like just...
3: savings accounts that they can donate from that's <laughs> right. they IRA they have IRAs
2: actually they can't the money's protected in IRA they yeah. can't touch it until they're 62 your, your fans are IRA my fans
0: are NRA you know it's a, <laughs> human life but, you my know, fans are OMG <laughs> and your friends are <laughs> But but I, I have I have, a, I have a modest proposal, if you will. Let us put this theory to the test. Okay, how are we gonna do that? This, this this fan showdown. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's actually take it to the fans, guys. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, if you like the show and you do, and you do you're listening to us <laughs> <knows> now. <laughs> uh, g- give us money, which is how we you know keep this show going, which is a really good thing to do to help your favorite right. th- TabletMag.com/slash/donate. Correct. But here's what you have to do. In the notes, uh, for your donation, put one name. It could either be Mark, Stephanie, or Liel, spelt L I E L. And Mark with a K. And we're going to turn this into a competition. And and because it's us. Okay, what should we do? Yeah, because it's us. Okay. I think that the person. I like where this is going. The person who gets the most, whatever. The person in the middle, whatever. The person who gets <laughs> the least people. The loser. The loser. Yeah. Uh, the loser, loser, the person who gets to <laughs> lose people to, to donate money and and write their name in the in the note yeah. uh, line, uh, has to do something uh,
2: mortifyingly out of character. So, like, if on air, so on air. No. Yes. Well, or we could record. Because uh, here's my it. idea. Because yeah. as we know from past episodes, Stephanie, despite being one of the leading Jews in America, <laughs> refuses to put a mezuzah on her door. Well, I don't she want anyone to know. She doesn't want to be made by the anti Semites or the cool kids. <laughs> so I think if she loses, oh my god. I think if she loses, we get to go to her the apartment. The two of us. The two of us. Together with 36 yeshiva Lubavitcher, boichers, yes, with Lubavitchers. And the mitzvah tank. You're going uh, your, uh, to ma- nail a in the West door? We're going to nail a sister, to your door as oh we blare God. out like, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. 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 Yes. yes, Okay. okay. We're right. going to have a Lubavitcher okay, Winnebago
3: in the street in the village as we nail a Liel, to your door. Liel, you are going to go to a Belgian restaurant. You're going <laughs> to eat, eat a Belgian waffle. <laughs> you're going to eat all those like... You're going to eat all this Belgian food I will do while wrapped more. in a Belgian
0: flag. I, I will go uh, to a, a an official uh, consulate and or embassy of Belgium, which, as you know, is the child rape you'll, capital of the world. You'll get
2: Belgian sensitivity uh, training and from their consul. I will get consul. Belgian sensitivity training from
0: a Belgian <laughs> official
2: for a whole day alright well this is good we've
0: settled Wait, this oh, hey, no Mark. Mark what are we gonna do with you? I, I, I
3: think know. Mark is gonna have to take his entire family plus us to a like a date a movie at the time that movies cost the most <laughs> no senior discounts 3D no yeah, IMAX.
0: We, we would click the machine ourselves <laughs> like plus plus plus, plus, plus 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 I
3: want yeah. I want an extra large popcorn I want drinks <laughs> I want Jujubes. I want what, all the candy alright good deal alright so listeners, I like this so now we've gamified our we've gamified
0: our, don't, eat, don't drive every other show just uh, lets you you do good things and feel
2: good with your money. <laughs>
3: we actually we – we, actually, we need we us bring, to feel good. We bring, we bring spite to
2: into it. It's
3: um, an element of punishment. This is why we can't have nice things. This That's is why right. we can't
2: have nice things because we lose. Uh, Duo Dickinson gave us 50 bucks, two-time Gentile of the week. I like
3: when g- guests give. That makes me
2: – Juna Grossman. Yeah, Molly Yeh gave a bit. Am- Amia Kour's Anonymous, Anonymous. Juna Grossman, Anonymous. I mean, Ashley Fleming. I just want to say uh, – can I quote Ashley Fleming? She says, unorthodox is- – this is her note – Unorthodox is my happy place. In times like these, we all need more of Mark, Stephanie, and Liel. And then Ken Mercer just wrote, My audio conscience. That could be a t-shirt, <laughs> like unorthodox, your Hi. audio content. My favorite audio.
3: one said, I don't give to my synagogue drive, but I do give to the unorthodox drive. <laughs> I felt a little bad about that. It's like, we're taking money. We out are of the, the Yom Kippur
2: appeal. appeal. We are the Yom it, Rabbi. Um, so it is on tabletmagcom slash donate. Um, what is up, Jews, in uh, in the world at large? Some news of the Jews, perhaps? This is Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, we record on Tuesday mornings. Yes. As people who listen to the
0: show know. Ken. And tonight. Um, I think that, uh, you know, television would air what is arguably the pinnacle of American entertainment, I want to say ever, an episode of Drunken History, which is a really funny show on Comedy Central where a drunk celebrity tells a story from history and then other celebrities reenact it in a funny way. The celebrity du jour is our beloved Rachel Bloom, who drunkenly tells the story of the Eichmann abduction...
2: (laughs) And who plays Eichmann? I couldn't tell who that was. I saw the clip on YouTube. It is Weird Al Yakovic. Oh, <laughs>
0: that's who that was. And to top that, if you only could, Tony Hale, who plays Buster in Arrested yes, Development. so funny. And, and also in Veep. Veep, yeah plays Isser Harel, the legendary head of the Mossad. <laughs> and Isser
3: Harel is like, awesome. We're going to hunt down Nazi war criminals because there are a lot of Nazis still like
4: chilling. And the guy at the top of their list is Adolf Eichmann. Who literally planned the Holocaust? So we saw her. I was like, "Let's nail this fucking motherfucker to the wall like a f***ing moose who's been hunted."
2: At the end, as well, she is sort like of drunkenly falling so off the sofa, Argentina. she's like, "I'm ninety-seven point four percent Ashkenazi, bitch." Yeah,
3: I have to say, like, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was in there.
2: Yeah, I learned. It. That's I learned what a lot. I would show my class if I were teaching it's the Eichmann deduction. Well.
3: Argentina's really bad
5: about extraditing Nazis. They like don't give a shit for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why, but they're just bad about it. And he tells Viharoni, if we're gonna capture Adolf Eichmann, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to like fool and kidnap him, like, like a kid on a milk carton. We're gonna have to milk carton Adolf Eichmann.
2: Mm. Um- well, I'm thrilled that your news of the Jews is that a funny uh video is debuting on Comedy Central. Is there any more <laughs> substantial news of the Jews? Anyone quickly? Oh, there was another L Al incident, wasn't there? Oh, that's right. The <laughs> <If> L <laughs> of the week. <laughs> then there was
3: another There Al was a incident. Haredi I, man refusing to sit next to a woman on some
2: airline. Actually, according to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, four Haredi men refused to sit next to a woman. <laughs> How would all four of them? Oh, I guess they tried them serially and each said no, woman. Isha on an L Al flight from New York to Israel. And then the Israeli rapper uh who goes by the moniker Sagol 59 Do you know this guy? Is he big? He was like on the plane too. He was on the plane. (laughs) And he actually pointed out in talking about it on social media that after all of the women were kicked out of their seats and harassed and degraded for being women, they didn't even get bumped up. To first class they had to stay in economy oh and so this is four
3: different women it wasn't like they tried to get like there's just women all over the plane that were just you know you offending ma- women men all over
0: the plane not, not in their own the section according to seagull 59 wherever they want
2: according to rapper Segal 59 one of the four Haredi orthodox men uh who was quote particularly devout and ascetic got on the plane with his eyes closed <laughs> so he wouldn't see <laughs> the women and he was led by the hand of one of the other men and remained that way throughout the flight so I that's what, like a seven-hour flight? <laughs> just holy
3: hands It's an 11-hour flight. But <laughs> 11. you know what? I'm going to try that
0: next time. I'm just going to get it, like when my eyes close, be like,
3: hi here's what I think if you don't want to sit next to a like if there's a if you have an issue with sitting next to someone you need to buy two seats buy three, three buy three seats get three that seats. whole row to yourself but because yeah. it's like you th- this this boils my blood like this is such bullshit it's... you can't just go on an airplane and be like oh I actually don't want to sit next to that person but did I ever tell you guys this that when I was on a f- plane to visit my sister in Israel when she was living there I was taking a Yiddish class my intro to Yiddish class at the workman's circle what up Kolya? amazing <laughs> amazing instructor. And there were all these, like, Orthodox children that were sitting in my row and – they were speaking Yiddish, and I understood enough to, understood a chi- to understand a child speaking Yiddish. And they were literally saying, "I don't want to sit next to her." Yeah. <laughs> all, none of, but none of the kids it was not, it was gender it was gender the fluid. girls didn't like, want to sit next to you. No the one wanted to sit next to me. And then I took out my iPad and started playing Scrabble, and all of a sudden oh. I was like a freaking Pied Piper of like, Haredi <laughs> children, just like, like standing. Monsulate. They were standing in the aisle, and what I was like, "Oh, now magic? you now you guys want to sit next to me?"
2: Well, from bad to worse, I'll just I just want to uh, to quote my friend <laughs> this story. Uh, <laughs> Like
3: Al, fortunately
2: you didn't give us the worst news of the week. This is I'll read from, from my friend Dan Friedman at the forward. British University uses Nazi quote to inspire students. The career advice department at University of Exeter on the southwest coast of England sent out an inspirational quote in a mass email. Quote, One cannot permit unique opportunities to slip by for the sake of trifles. But as local newspaper the Falmouth Packet reports, I should have done this in British accent. <laughs> The of the packet. packet. The inspiration they are drawing on comes from Nazi General Erwin Rommel. According to the BBC, the university has issued an apology. Quote, this was a genuine error and in no way intentional. However, we apologize with an S unreservedly for any offense it may have caused and have put additional processes in place to ensure this doesn't happen again. What are the additional processes you put in place to ensure that you don't send out Nazi quotes in the future? You install Google in every computer <laughs> in the university so
3: you can freaking Google a quote uh, before this, you put it this on. This does remind me that I was I was at a soul cycle class last night and the and the instructor From was like the workman circle to Cycle. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just the Stephanie in. story. no, no, I was like, she was like, okay, hey, now add some resistance. Add some more resistance. If not now, when? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our Jewish guest this week comes to us all the way from Poland. Uh, Jonathan Ornstein is the executive director of the JCC Krakow, which boasts more than 10,000 visitors a month. I was one of them uh, way back a few years ago. I was one of them too. Jonathan, thank I feel you. I Feeling like so left
1: out. Mark, we'll get you there. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> Pleasure to be with you guys.
3: So I imagine you're not what people expect of a JCC Krakow director. I will tell you that when I met you in Poland, 2011, I would say the first thing you said to me was you made fun of my alma mater, Duke University. Um, sorry about that. And I was like, I didn't come to Poland to be insulted <laughs> to, to, like, to be mocked about Duke. <laughs> so you're like, because you're from you're from you're from here, right?
1: I am from here. I'm from New York, and I apologize for mocking you.
3: So how'd you, how'd you get to Poland? <laughs> how'd What's... you get
1: to Krakow, man, from Queens? Isn't it obvious The Queens to Krakow is not the obvious path to take? It is not. I uh, <laughs> went to, sort of blew off my American life, went to Israel, made Aliyah, was living on a kibbutz, was a lone soldier on the kibbutz. After the army deciding if I should stay or go, met a Polish woman, volunteer on the kibbutz, and just picked up sight unseen never been to poland and picked up and moved there and that, that was in 2001 and i uh did you know
2: what you were gonna do for work
1: no idea you were didn't just gonna be a house you were basically gonna be a kept man exactly in well, he, he landed. Exactly. like, oh
0: you're jewish do you want to run the jcc
1: <laughs> yes exactly so then i came to krakow it didn't work out with her we broke up but i fell in love with krakow i was teaching at the university there you left her for krakow i left her for krakow <laughs> well once you see krakow you'll understand why <laughs> What had you been doing for the 10 years between moving there and getting the job? So it was about 7 years I was teaching Hebrew at the university Got at it. the Jewish Studies Department which is a lot of non-Jews studying Hebrew which was Is it interesting. even in,
2: so here at a school where non-Jews are studying Hebrew it's often evangelical Christians but they don't have many of those in Poland like no. who was ta-
1: was it people who felt bad about what their great grandparents did to the Jews? No no these are young Polish non-Jews who felt that the country lost something when the Jews were murdered and then kicked out and then driven underground and wanted to learn something about this uh, this almost vanished people. This almost vanished culture.
2: How many Jews are there in Poland?
1: Depends how you count, right? Depends how you count. We, the official, in the guidebooks, it says there are about 120 Jews in Krakow and we have 700 Jewish members at the JCC. So all the number you can throw all the numbers out the window. I would say if we'd say by law of return, if we look at how many Poles today have a Jewish grandparent, I'd say it's probably about 100,000. Wow which is an order of magnitude higher than any of the official numbers. I was numbers. about to say, there are 700 Jews in my building. <laughs> <that> like, literally? <laughs> right.
3: So what's your community like? I mean, who are the people who make it up? What, how old are they?
1: So it's Holocaust survivors, Polish Jews who survived and then stayed, never left Poland. And there are a lot of young people, which is really interesting, that are finding out they're Jewish. For example, people that grew up without knowing they are Jewish, and then they find out in all different ways. Uh, someone finds a box in the in their grandparents' attic with black and white photos, they start looking at them, people with long beards, they realize there weren't any Amish in Poland in nineteen thirty nine. Something else might be going on and uh start the process and figure out that they're Jewish. So stuff like really interesting stuff is going on, a lot of young people involved.
3: And I imagine the JCC is sort of the the central the the locus for that kind of activity, right?
1: Absolutely. That's why we're set up to be sort of be a magnet to draw these people, the young people that are finding out they're Jewish and Did, bring you them back. Do you have back. like a like a kit by now? Like so, a
0: pamphlet. So congratulations. So you're
2: uh, Jewish. You right? discovered a black and white photo in the attic. <laughs> here's exactly. here's what to do next. There's
1: the good and the bad. Right. 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 A quick guide to uh, assuming all the guilt. You know, you have to get people up to speed. It takes a while. The guilt, the fear, the history, all all of
2: it. Um, Why is there a JCC in Krakow, given all the decades of pretty
1: sleepy Jewish life in in Krakow? There is a JCC because Prince Charles actually came to visit us uh, in Krakow, and he met with some survivors in 2002. And he was very moved that he wanted to help them. And the original idea was doing a senior citizen center. And then a couple of Jewish organizations, World Jewish Relief and the joint here in, in the United States, realized that there was something else going on, that there were young people starting to find out they were Jewish. So they went back to the prince with an idea. Instead of doing something only for senior citizens, let's do something with a broader mandate to serve, to try to bring these young people in. Prince Charles said okay and then they were able to raise the money and build the JCC. So in 2008 Prince Charles came and opened the JCC.
2: It's funny cuz that happened in New Haven as well, although actually it was <laughs> it was actually Queen Elizabeth who came and opened our JCC in uh... So did he actually cut a check? I mean, what did he do besides
1: He did. He show made... up in
2: a double-breasted suit. No, no,
1: he did. He made a donation and then with the prince's involvement, they were able to raise more money as you would imagine and then he came out with the Camilla, with the Duchess of Cornwall and spent the day with us in 2008. Oh, this was 2.0. So was exactly oh, Diana. No, no. <laughs>
0: So I don't mean to, to, you know, offend your your lovely city uh, or to suggest in any way that Warsaw is cooler, uh, which well, I'm not um, saying here at all. But uh, one does often get a feeling, spending some time in Krakow, that there is a, uh, how shall we say it mildly, a Disney-fied element of, of Jewish life in memory. I mean, there are a lot of places and cafes where you go and there's this kind sort of like, look, kind of like shtetl-chic vibe of like, here's a guy playing, you know...
1: Y- y- right, Tevia walking by. <laughs> right, yeah. and
0: and so, um, how how do you guys, as like a, a real, actual, bona fide, authentic community structure,
1: deal with a strong tourist magnet attitude? It helps. It helps, and I'll tell you why. If we if there wasn't a Jewish community going on, and the, the only thing that there was was this sort of you know we call it Jurassic Park, right? Because <laughs> especially because it was after Spielberg came and filmed Schindler's List, it kickstarted it, so it works on a couple different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be sad. It would be. It would be Epcot. Yeah. You know, it would be. But uh, the fact is, these young people are finding out they're Jewish, and when they do it in Krakow, and there's all this not all this Jewish kitschy stuff going on, I think it shows that there's this tremendous amount of non-Jewish interest in all things Jewish, and it makes those young people more likely to walk into a building like ours. So I might not want to eat in these restaurants with, you know, kosher style pork and things like this going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they're serving a purpose. And, you know, when you get when you get beyond the kitsch and there's some, you know, a real revival going on, that's pretty remarkable.
3: I um, spent the summer in Poland a few years ago on a fellowship through the Ashridge Jewish Center, which is an amazing organization I've talked about before. But when I went, my my great aunt, who is Polish and a Holocaust survivor, said, why are you going to Poland? And when I called her from there, she's like, watch your bag, make sure. And, and then but also the the young people I knew Everyone sort of was like, why are you going to Poland? And I came back and I said, this place is amazing. Krakow is incredible. There's so much life here. And it's so interesting what's happening. And so how do you sort of square the the, the general Jewish perception that like there's no reason to go to Poland? It's, you know, don't go to Poland, don't go to Germany. The sort of lumping together of these things, every, all of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a problem when people lump Germany together with Poland. And then we see that recently with the we've, Holocaust we've noticed, and all yeah. this. There, there's issues with that. But in terms of Poland, Poland is a place, Poland is a country with, three Jewish chapters. There's the Holocaust that we all know about, but there's a thousand years of Jewish life before the Holocaust. And now there's Jewish life thriving once again. And I think that the, you know, the tragedy of the Holocaust is, is the backdrop to what's going on today. And it's worth, of course, going and visiting the camps and learning about the Holocaust. But what, what is a more beautiful, important thing to see than Jewish life flourishing, you know, in the shadow of Auschwitz?
2: But Poland now has this right wing government that has what the law says that you're not allowed to talk about. You can explain the law to me. What is this new law that everyone's so worried about?
1: Uh, Yeah, the government is is uh, is is a right wing populist government. The Holocaust bill is a misguided, poorly worded bill that but I think had much less to do with Jews. Than it did with trying to protect the Polish self-image of of being victims and 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 heroes and and being uncomfortable with dealing with more difficult aspects. People of The It criminalizes own history. Uh, attributing the Holocaust to Poland no, or, or w- saying. Well, the, how we, we, we you know we, there's no reason to attribute but the Holocaust complicity to Poland. or.
3: But it's also a way of of getting people to stop say Polish concentration camp, right? That's sort of like the the main the crux. This idea that the concentration camps were in Poland, many of them but they were not Polish. Like that right. is an incorrect phrase.
1: Right. We, you know, a little bit is linguistic not to go too deep, too, too much of a deep dive. But when we say, for example, when we say New York deli, it can be a New York style deli in Boise, Idaho, or it can be a Korean deli in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you say, so with Polish, when, when Poles hear the term Polish concentration camps, the Polish language doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it does, it's not a locative, right? So it, it doesn't mean in Poland, which is the way that we might hear it, Uh, it means of Poland of of, of the Polish of the Polish so 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 that's why they get that upset about it do you
0: find yourself being an ambassador of sorts when you come back here like is all your time in New York spent? like are you just trying to have a sandwich go to Poland and instead you have to give some sort of you know soliloquy about why Poland is cool
1: Eating a lot of pizza and being an ambassador, and giving a lot of the <laughs> these are the two, the absolutely. two things. That are you the do. primary no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but also a lot of people visit. Uh, you know, we had uh, over 120,000 visitors last year, and you know that's all different synagogues and federations. You know, these days, everybody in the last few years has, has uh, you know made it a point not only to come to Poland to see the camps, but to see the history. They opened a wonderful uh, museum of history of Polish mm-hmm. Jews in Warsaw, yep. which is a phenomenal must. We place. visited it exactly, we loved then, it, and then to come and see see Jewish life. So it's a story. I'll tell you what, in the in in all the years that I've been doing it in 10 years that we've been open, it's gotten much, much easier because people have visited and people have come back and told their friends. And it's not like it's much less often. Oh, my God, there are Jews in Poland. It's more. Oh, wow. Yeah. My you know, my cousin visited you and said they had a great time. So here's the
2: important question, if I may. In America, you know, every self-respecting JCC has has a gym. It has
1: it has Zumba classes, Uh,
3: maybe a pool.
2: There's a pool. What do you got for programming there?
1: Yeah, none of none none of the above. So we're a very we're a lot of the J in the JCC. We're very Jewish. So we have a uh, we have a preschool that we just opened, which is the first Jewish community kindergarten to open in seventy years. We Hillel is run through the JCC. We just opened it. We're the youngest Hillel in the world, open in June. We have BBYO run through the JCC. We have a Sunday school. We have Shabbat dinners every week. We have a genealogist on staff. We have. Hebrew classes, Arabic classes, Yiddish classes. We publish a newspaper. We have a choir. We have Holocaust survivors. We're the primary agency taking <laughs> care of 60 Holocaust survivors that are in the JCC every, every day for until 8.30 at night. Uh, so we're very busy. It's a so it imagined, seems like you, you
3: know, don't need a pool. Th- they went in
1: <laughs> like a radical different yeah. direction. like right.
3: Zupa's cool. <laughs> You know
0: what else we could do? Judaism. We could do Judaism. We could do Judaism. What about the theme of the JCC be just
1: being a Jay. Jewish community? Center? Although we'd like a pool, Right. should sure like <laughs> Prince Charles. Prince, yeah. <laughs> I know you're listening.
3: So, are you ever coming back to the United States?
1: You know, never say never. I'm here all the. You know, people ask if I miss New York, but I'm here every two or three months, so it's hard to miss it when you get back that often. But uh, you know, I don't know. I've been in Krakow for a while. I love it. I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. But you never know where life is going to take you.
2: Jonathan Orenstein, Executive Director of the JCC Krakow. Thank you for being our Jew of the Week.
3: And how Thank do we you find so out more about the JCC, maybe help you guys out?
1: You can go to jcckrakow.org or to our 501c3 friends of jcckrakow.org. We raise our entire budget uh, based on donations. So if you have any any incredibly wealthy listeners out there, go and do the right thing. Be like Prince Charles. Be like Chuck. Exactly.
3: Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
3: Bonjour.
4: Kto żył, pięć lat, jest ze mną za wam brak Więc mnie to bawiło, było nawet miło Gdy tu i tak refrenik miał ten sam Danula, Danula, futerko się otula Danula, Danula, dziś
3: na singu hula Z latarnuszki tej dziewuszki i piosenki wszystkie Danula, Danula, popatrzeć proszę chciej All right. We have a double trouble Jewish guest (laughs) doubleheader. I don't know. We've got two Jewish guests this week. Two Um, thirds
2: of the Jewish Charlie's Angels.
3: Exactly. We are here with with Rebecca Sofer and Gabby Berkner. Is that by
2: the way? I'm sorry, the
0: collective term, a trouble of Jews? (laughs) Let
3: me do this intro. You guys are being a real trouble of Jewish guys. (laughs) Rebecca Sover and Gabby Berkner are the co-founders of Modern Loss, a site that aims to make conversations about grief more candid, real, and less fraught and
4: awkward. So Rebecca and Gabby, can you tell us a little bit about how you started this site? Um, Well, sure. This is Rebecca. We started the site um, more than four and a half years ago. And the reason we launched it is because both of us went through some pretty profound loss, pretty crappy loss at a younger age than either one of us would have anticipated going through it. And we just realized very, very quickly on our own and then together that there was just this huge white space in terms of, you know, an honest, open, no-holds-barred, snarky, humorous exchange on the long arc of grief.
0: Gabby, when when, when you and I talked, you, you had an, a very interesting kind of metaphor to describe what grief felt like to you. You said it was a little bit like a game of Candyland?
5: Yeah. I mean, in the Jewish tradition, you have these, like, have this calendar set out for you. There's this liminal period before burial and the seven days of Shiva and the 30 days of Shloshim. You have a year of Kaddish, at which point you're kind of expected to be in a different place. And you may be, but you may not be. Um, And the way I experience grief and the way many people in our book experience grief is that It's not such a linear process. It's more like a game of Candyland, where you think you're approaching the castle or whatever is at the end, and then somehow you pick up a gumdrop, and then you're at square one or square gumdrop.
3: So you guys, you both suffered, you know, tremendous personal loss that obviously spurred the creation of the site. Is it hard to talk about that suffering in a professional context and will you tell us at the same time <laughs> and whether you, it is or not will you tell us uh, what, what yeah, happens it, is it hard
4: to sort of perform those stories I mean yeah I, I think it's very safe to at least speak for Gabby when I say that neither one of us probably set out in life to do this um, as a as a a project be it right. full time or part time you know what would be cool yeah I wasn't like six <laughs> if years you lost old be like, traumatically you know and then made a career out of it I lost everyone I loved early and then just like honored them for the rest of my life um, that just wasn't my plan you know I was working um, you know, I was 30. I was working in daily TV. I was working for the Colbert Report, which as you know, you might imagine when you're working in a daily production, it's a grind. You're 30. Your foot is like very hard on the gas pedal of, of life. You're working crazy hours. You're going out hard, trying to maybe meet somebody, maybe trying to afford like a larger apartment at some point in New York City. And I was doing all those things. And then um, my parents and I went on a family camping trip. And right after dropping me off that night um, in my apartment, they continued on to Philadelphia, where where, that's my hometown. And less than an hour later, I got a phone call that there had been a terrible accident on on the New Jersey Turnpike, um, which, as you can all imagine, you know, is like a highly, highly, highly insulting place for, you know, something like this to happen to a loved one, any, any place is insulting, but that's just beyond I'm a Philadelphian. So like terrible. Um, And, you know, I heard my dad, he was screaming in the background. And, um, you know, I I was told to rush down there and and immediately found out what what I knew as soon as I got that phone call, which was that she, my mom had not survived this car accident. My dad was in the car with her um, and thus began my, you know, injection into this world of grief. And three years after my mom died, my dad died. He had a heart attack. So I was freshly 34 um, I was freshly married. And, and you were so, an orphan. Yeah, I was li- yeah an And orphan. an only
2: child. Yep. And I, to me, yep. I thank God so much as I get older. And my parents, thank God, are so well and have another 30 years in them, I hope. But 40. My mother would be insulted that I'm saying she only has 30 years left. Right. She's 74. But I think of having siblings as such an ex- extraordinary comfort should anything happen to my parents. I can't. Uh, do you feel, when you look around at your friends with siblings, do you feel... Um, that it was harder for you as an only child? Does that make a difference?
4: Yeah, I do. objectively do. I objectively do. I think that there are a lot of siblings who don't get along. And I have seen siblings who are raised, you know, they're very close when they're younger and then they're more estranged. So I'm absolutely generalizing when I say this because plenty of siblings are not close. Plenty of siblings deal with the fallout of death in a different way, and it doesn't jive in ways that fracture them. And there's the inheritance process, which, let me tell you, is not fun. It's not fun. Thank God
2: my siblings, I don't have that to worry about. Yeah, (laughs) like
4: Like, you know, like, hopefully it's only, like, three, as many
5: chairs to split as there are Do you want mom's other deck of solitaire cards? Right, exactly. Gabby, you're also an only child. I am also an only child. And so people ask me, is it harder? I mean, you know what? The truth is, I don't know. The truth is, I think, probably, yes. Um, and probably no, just having edited, um, so many stories on the site and we have more than 500 pieces on modern We, I, uh, you know, I've come to understand just how complicated the process can be, um, between, uh, siblings, just between people who love each other. Um, you know, I guess I would have loved to have that support in an ideal world, but the only real answer I have for that is I don't know.
0: Tell us your story.
5: Okay, so um, Liel actually knows my story because five months after um, my father and stepmother were murdered in a robbery, which is the gist of that story, um, I took a job at a newspaper and somehow managed to function at that job um, sitting right next to Liel. So he knew me at total peak train wreck. So the story, the gist of which I just told you was, um, my dad and stepmother were murdered by a methamphetamine addict who had been sent by a local plumbing company to do plumbing work in their home. Um, they had moved 18 months prior, about 18 months prior, to Sedona, Arizona, which is a actually, like, as opposed to New Jersey Turnpike, a totally beautiful place to die, but, like, you're still dead. And... Um, And so in the aftermath, I was just, you know, thrown into adulthood. I was about two years out of college by just all these things I had no reference point for. I mean, police and prosecutors, medical examiners, mortuaries, and my friends who were, you know, also mostly 24 hadn't lost parents, let alone known anyone who had been murdered. And it became an incredibly isolating experience and just like also logistically challenging. I remember like I was, I remember sitting next to Liel when I was, you know, 24, 25 and like trying to come up with ways to tell the person I had met, you know, on J-Date or wherever I was meeting people or at the Oak Room or wherever we were going um, way back when, and I'm totally dating myself, that like this like terrible horrible no good thing had happened but like hey i've got no baggage um or like i'm totally fine <laughs> um which was um you know certainly not true um, and the messaging is right. certainly not my easy. My father
4: was brutally murdered. Tell me about your family. <laughs>
5: uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so minute, Dad, right. Gabby and
4: I could go on for hours about our dating stories, you know, just how you realize very quickly that people are allergic to this conversation, whether it's like a peaceful death at the end of life or whether it's a murder. They don't a don't lot of hear people, yeah, they all of a sudden have like an early earnings call in the morning. Oh my God.
3: But so the book is such an amazing extension of the site. And I'd love to know from each of you what your favorite part is. Like what the what contribu- you know what contribution just you think sort of really really moved you Gabby?
5: Okay, there's many um, and it's really hard to pick one. There are 44 contributors in addition to Rebecca and myself who wrote extensively in the book. But um, two pieces that come to mind is one by Hallie Tanner who is a novelist and she talks about the right to hold grudges in the aftermath of losing someone you love. Like, grudges don't always serve us well, but in this case, she feels like this is righteous indignation. She makes a really funny comment about how people don't remember um, what they ate for lunch yesterday, but they remember 20 years later who didn't show up at the Shiva. Um, another piece, which is completely different, um, is by Jacqueline Mirakete. Um, And she survived the Rwandan genocide, having lost her whole family, multiple siblings, both of her parents, her grandmother. Um, And she speaks about returning to Rwanda for the first time um, in in more than a decade out after the genocide. And, And she speaks to something so universal. Like, thank God, like most of us will not have to endure what she had to endure. But there are so many threads that anyone who has lost someone and had to return to a home that doesn't feel like a home um, will just totally get on this visceral level.
2: That's amazing. Thank you. Um, Rebecca?
5: I would
4: say that some of my favorite pieces in the book, which are all of them, really, because, you know, this book, we're so proud of it. And we're so proud of the contributors who said yes, and shared stories that stemmed from the hardest things that, you know, they've you know, some of the hardest things they've ever dealt with. You know, I just want to say, like, this book is actually really funny, you know, because loss is kind of ridiculously hysterical sometimes. It is, because life is messy, death is messy. Like, one of the funniest things that happened, you know, (laughs) like, happened at my mother's funeral, where they put the wrong shade of lipstick on her, and I had to scrub it off her corpse and put the right shade on, because I didn't want her looking like Tammy Faye for all eternity. (laughs) But I would say some of my favorite pieces are the ones that are counterintuitive to what you would think the experience of loss would be. An example is um, the writer Emily Rapp Black, who wrote this beautiful book called um, The Still Point of the Turning World. She lost her son Ronan when he was three to Tay-Sachs. And in her piece, she writes, her piece is called Meet the Twins, Grief and Desire. What I love about it is you kind of, you conjure up the image of a grieving young mother. Um, you think of like maybe she's hiding behind a mantilla, you know, like she's shrouding all the mirrors, you know, the, the the child's room is like cloaked in darkness. And, you know, her lead is, after my son Ronan died, all I wanted to do was write and fuck. And I love that because it's real. She's being honest. She's like, don't make me the, you know, like the, the like la madre, like the, you know, like the holy, you know, right. bereaved mother, because I am that. But also like, I I need to connect physically and carnally with people to move through this awful thing that I'm going through. And it's great because I think it kind of gives voice to the flip side of what you think it would and be. And possibly
2: also to take your mind off it. And possibly it, to also escapism, take, right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. for
4: a minute, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think like another one last piece and maybe Gabby and I can both- I love
2: that we I you for one, you both come with two. That's awesome. <laughs> 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 um, but that's how great the book is. So yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah I mean, there's so many. Um, it's just like, we love, it's like our babies. Like we yep. love them all. We love all yep. these writers. And oh, I I would say like one of our favorite pieces is, you know, one we wrote ourselves. It's called A Brief (laughs) Guide to Grief Speak. And, you know, the reason we love this piece. Give us an
2: example of what, because this was actually one of my favorite.
4: I mean, we love this piece mostly not because like we think we're geniuses, but because we wrote it both when I personally was like out of my mind, exhausted and somewhat maybe drunk at late at night because, (laughs) you know, like I was just thinking of like, what are the real terms? You know, it's not DSM four or five terms. It's this. It's uh, okay. Uh, Edible arrangement. Futes. Fruit skewers whittled into floral bouquets, Mm. frequently received en masse in lieu of actual comfort, may contain a marshmallow at the center. (laughs) And then my personal favorite, because this is the way it is, is closure, a myth perpetuated by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about.
2: I've always hated the (laughs) word closure. I'm so happy you brought that up. Rebecca Sofer and Gabby Bergner are the co-founders of Modern Loss, which aims to make conversations about grief more candid. It's a website at modernloss.com. Their book, Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginner's Welcome, was published in January. January and will be in print forever
3: and the good thing is it's actually the perfect thing to give to the person you don't know who what to say to yes to it's them. better Let's, than an edible arrangement it's, I was say, it's better it's edible. better than a shrink wrap
4: <laughs> they, of, they attract fruit flies and also like right. shivas
2: always have too much food and it's yeah. like how do you deal yeah. with that that what you've done is essentially created a cleaning problem for the right. people who That's already right. have the biggest problem yep. in the world
4: right <laughs> amazing yeah. yeah yeah
2: so one
5: of our one of our um writers called it a support group in book form so yeah, you're like nice. handing someone a support yeah. group uh, but that's also so what much, the website
2: guys. is that's also what the website is. it is, is yeah is, you know. and
4: you can visit it at 2am you know? that's right
2: thanks guys to each life some rain must fall
0: but too much is falling
3: in my into each
0: heart, some tears must fall, but someday the sun will shine.
3: Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by The New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's Spring Season of Jewish Culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Uh,
2: mazel tovs. Leo, do you have a mazel tov this week?
0: Yeah, uh, mazel tov to, to our friend Jen Senor, who uh, was just appointed to be a, an opinion writer and podcaster at the failing New York Times. <laughs> and she, she will make them so much better she will, Yay, she will save Jen. them basically Jen Senior is going to save amazing. them she is happy high energy which happy. is the opposite of sad low energy
3: uh, Stephanie Budnick I have some muscle tubs here I have one to Ethan Gross and Mindy Rappaport, who I remember we announced their engagement, I think on our wedding episode last year, mm-hmm. and Seem their friend Leo over. wrote in to tell us that they actually got married this Amazing. past weekend. It's nice when an
2: engagement actually leads to a wedding. Uh, yeah. I love it when <laughs> a plan comes out. together.
3: <laughs> and and we have another one, a special one. Naomi Turim became a bat mitzvah on June 23rd in Northwood, UK. Her mother and her rabbi are dedicated unorthodox nicks, and I may have just butchered their last name, and I apologize. The
2: important thing is that now that she's a woman, she too can become an unorthodox dick. Yeah, I mean that's what that's that. 14
3: is the. The, 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 the age of listening. That's
2: right. Naomi, Mishnah says that 13 is the age of listening. Although and she's 12, presumably. Presumably. Yeah.
3: Well, Naomi, the important thing is
2: that now that you're a woman, you need a you need a podcasting life. You need a podcasting regimen and ritual. And, and, and we're it. This we, is basically Hebrew high school. That's right. We were like unorthodox. Could you, if you listen to our podcast a lot, you learn so much more than at most Oh, absolutely! Hebrew high school. So you should send us the money that you foolishly spend on absolutely. day school. Absolutely. Um,
3: Did I ever tell you guys about my Monday Wednesday migraines, which coincided with Hebrew school? <laughs> 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 then I switched out of like Gimel one into Gimel four from the top to like the lowest, and it was just the,
0: and the migraines. I made.
3: I was. <laughs> I was so happy always with all my friends. Here, here, I'm fine. The migraines went away. You were. You were Gimel
2: four. If if only Morah Chava could see you now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> My mazel tov is to tablet writer Wesley Yang, who I just think has been has been killing it lately. And his piece is for us and his piece for the for the The New York Times opinion section about um, Harvard. Devastating. Admissions. Um, I just think Wesley Yang is a really, really. He has a book coming out called The Souls of Yellow Folk. And I just think he's really killing it. Every time I read something by him, I am intrigued, provoked, moved. And uh, you all should go out and Google Wesley Yang and and read some Yang. Unorthodox brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. This week, we like to dedicate our show to the memory of Batsheva Novak, whose mother is a very, very dear friend of the show. You can write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. You can also ask for our newsletter by putting newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live to book us, email producer Josh Cross, that's cross with a K, at jcross at tabletmag.com. Hit up bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash unortho shirt to find the latest in unorthodox gear Follow us on Instagram at Unorthodox Podcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sbutnick. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Frost and Shira Telushkin. It is edited by Noah Levinson. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Johanna Kinberg of Kol Ami in Woodenville, Washington, a tireless soldier in the fight against injustice. If you would like to nominate your rabbi to offer rabbinic supervision, write to me at Moppenheimer at TabletMag.com. We recorded Argo Studios, which refuses to serve Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and we're part to be proud of the Panoply Network.
3: You said you're part to be proud of the Panoply Network.
2: (laughs) And we're Panoply to be part of the Proud Network. (laughs) Shalom, friends.